I'm excited about uh, tonight because for the past five weeks, we've been talking about Jesus and we've been digging into the different identities of Jesus and who Jesus tells, he, tells us he is. And we have learned about Jesus the son, Jesus the healer, Jesus the teacher, Jesus the revolutionary. And tonight I get to talk to you a little bit about Jesus the light. And what makes me excited about that is that while researching this and and thinking about it and praying about it, I find that light is a really important thing in the Bible. It's actually, and I looked this up, I won't take credit for it, but it's in the Bible 232 times, the term light. So it's kind of a big deal. As a matter of fact, we can see in the beginning of the Bible that God's first commandment is let there be light. So the first time we hear from him, he's talking about light. We can go back to our most previous series of the journey and we can follow the Israelites and the Israelites are going through wilderness and they are led by a pillar of fire or light. We can go into the book of Psalm and we can be told that the lamp lights my feet and or the lamp is a light to my feet. Um, to, and I just messed that up, I apologize. The, light, the lamp is the, is, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's better. So we can see that light's a big thing. It's important. So whenever we get to talk about anything about Jesus, it's important. But when we see something that shows up in scripture so many times, it makes me excited to talk about it. So tonight we'll dig a little bit in there and we'll find out just like we have in the prior weeks, why exactly Jesus felt the need to proclaim that he is the light. So we'll dig into that and I'm excited because I think think you'll receive that well. Um, How many know what today is? April 1st which is also known as April Fool's Day. And, pro- and believe it or not, me standing here is not the joke tonight. Alex is not gonna come out. So I wanna tell you about one of my favorite pranks. And, and frankly, I don't even wait until April 1st to do it. I do it throughout the year. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty open to making this joke whenever I want. My favorite joke is on my wife. One of the things I love to do, we live in a ranch style house and it's one story. On one end of our house is our family room, and then on the other end of our house is our bedroom. My favorite joke is something that she does not like. Um, And about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, when we're getting ready to go to bed, don't judge us, we have kids and we value our sleep, but we get ready to go to bed. And I gather all of our phones, our baby monitor, baby, whatever we're getting to go to bed, and I gather it all up, and I run down the hall. And while I'm doing it, I'm turning off every light in the house, leaving my wife in complete darkness. When she's in the family room or in the kitchen, she has to make the long walk from the family room to the bedroom in complete darkness. Now, what I love about that is that while she's trying to make her way to the bedroom, I find a nice nook, a closet, a side room, somewhere, and I wait. I wait for her to come through. I hear her yelling my name. I keep from making any noises because she knows I'm here somewhere, but she doesn't know where. So with that, I wait until she comes through and usually someone ends up getting hurt um, because my wife has a defense mechanism as, as she's walking down the hall, she's waving her arms. So somebody usually gets hurt. But when she's coming through, she's scared because she can't see anything. And she knows that I'm here, but she doesn't know where I'm at. Isn't that a lot about, a lot how we feel about darkness? Is we're just not too comfortable with being in the dark. I would love to have done this sermon in complete darkness, 
having no idea who was here, if there was anybody here, and just talk. But I would have been nervous because I would have had no idea. Same thing applies because when we're in darkness, same with my wife, it creates confusion. She's confused. She has no idea where I'm at, when I'm going to jump out. She also has her reality distorted. We've lived in this house for seven years. She knows the layout of the house, but her perception is she walks that hall 25 times a day, and she knows how far the room is, but when the lights are out and there's scary things, that hallway feels a lot longer, and it just disrupts her. Now, there's a lot less disruptions prior to us getting married than there is now because, and with kids because there's a lot more toys on the ground, so therefore there's a lot more hazard to getting hurt trying to walk in the dark, but there's a lot of disruption. So we can agree that the dark can be a scary place, but here's how she fixed that. She went out and bought nightlights. Now we can land planes in our hallway because we have so many lights <laughs> down there. So it, joke's over, joke's over. But that's what I love, is that no matter what, the light cancels out the darkness. That's what's so awesome. So we find in chapter eight, or John chapter eight, verse 12, where Jesus proclaims that he is the light. So why did he need to say that? Why did he feel the need that he needed to tell this group of people that he is the light? Were they, was it dark outside? No. Why did he need to say that? So we need to jump in and we need to find out that Prior to him proclaiming this, he had an interaction. He had an interaction with a group of Pharisees and religious leaders where he was exposing the darkness in their life. In that same interaction, he came upon a woman where he exposed the darkness in her life with the light of him. So he felt the need to confront that darkness with the light. So we're gonna jump into that story, but before that, let's kind of set the scene here. Jesus has been traveling And he's going city to city and he's preaching and teaching people and he's teaching about things like grace and love and compassion and mercy. And then he comes to this story and this story is no different. He stops, he's preaching and crowds are just coming from all over to hear this Jesus preach. So that's what he's doing here. So let's jump in here. It's John chapter eight, verse one. You can follow along on the screen here. Verse one, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At the time, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said, Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What do you say? So these religious leaders, they're not big fans of Jesus. They, he stands for everything that they don't, including freedom. And this is their chance. They've been waiting to find a way to completely discredit everything Jesus is saying. And this is when they found their chance. So they've brought this woman to Jesus and they say, hey, we've caught her in adultery. What do you say? Now they're expecting Two, one of two responses. And frankly, either one of them is a win-win situation for them because Jesus can say one thing. He can say, okay, yeah, you're right. We need to stone her. 
And if they do that, all of these people gathered that Jesus has been teaching about compassion and love and mercy say, wait a minute, this Jesus, he's a hypocrite. He's, he's preaching about this, but now he has no grace for this woman? That's one response. The second response is, we need to release her. Let her go. If he does that, now he's gone against the law. And if he goes against the law, now it's a basis to arrest him. So either way, both of these options that the Pharisees think they have Jesus in are a win-win situation for them. So they think they've got Jesus right where they've got him. We'll find out that that's not the case. So let's read on here in chapter, or in verse six, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. So here they, they got Jesus. You ever had that person in your life that when everything seems to be going crazy, you just wanna shake them because you're like, tell me what you think about this. You need to get mad about this. You need, you, you ever have those people? They just, they're calm, cool. That's what happens here with Jesus. He says nothing. He bends down and he starts to write in the, in the dirt. This is one of those moments that I just absolutely would love to know exactly what Jesus was writing. A lot of commentaries say that when Jesus bent down and started writing, that he started writing the sins of the men that were standing in front of him. And I hope that's the case, because I, I think that's fantastic. I love that. Imagine, imagine you're standing there, and you're, you're pointing at this woman, and Jesus starts writing, and you're like, wait a minute, that's my name, and that's my sin. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine if we were to just start putting <laughs> names up here and sins next to it. This place would get real empty real quick. So that's what Jesus does. But in the meantime, they keep antagonizing. They keep pushing him. They keep questioning. Jesus, do something. You're supposed to tell us what you think about this. Don't back out of this. You need to tell us. We want you to make a stand. And Jesus doesn't. He stays quiet. And they're about to find out that you just don't mess with a guy like Jesus. So verse seven here. When they kept questioning, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So, so Jesus says, he pops up, he says, okay, here's your, here's your headline. Whoever has lived a life without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. In the meantime, I'm just gonna kneel back down here and write. And I imagine Jesus is probably writing this and, and he's writing a name and then drawing an arrow to this guy over here and he's writing a name here and he's drawing an arrow there. And, and these guys are starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. They don't want, they don't want to stand here. They don't want to see all this. But the, the most important part here is this is the exact moment that Jesus exposes their darkness with his light. And the best part is he doesn't and he doesn't have to say a word. Not once does he, does he tell them, hey, you did this, you did that. He exposes it without saying a word. That's an important part that we're gonna come back to here. Let's jump into chapter nine, or verse nine, I'm sorry. And this is, this is what I love here. At, the, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus was left with the woman standing there. So I have it underlined in my Bible here that it says, 
the older ones first. Why the older ones? Why would the older ones leave first? Well, if commentaries are even close and he is writing their sins down because I'm a pretty black and white OCD guy myself, I would assume, of course, he was writing them in chronological order, right? So these older guys that are standing there, and I hope I don't offend anybody here, and they're in their 70s, 80s, and they're standing there, and Jesus is writing their name, and he's starting with sins. And they're looking, wow, ooh, that's a sin from when I was like 16 or 17. Oh, oh, he's got a long way to go before we get to when I was 70. I've got a lot of sin in my past. I, I'm not sticking around to see all this. Jesus got a lot of dirt on me, and there's a pun intended there. So they're out of there. They don't want to stick around to see this. So they're gone, and we forgot an important part of this story, one that is often what we talk about. What about the woman? What's she doing here? Imagine being her for a minute. You're standing in front of this group. She was caught in adultery. We can assume she's probably half-clothed. She's standing in front of this group, tears running down her face. She's ashamed, embarrassed, head hung. She knows at this very moment, this is it. She's about to meet her death. She's got her eyes closed, hands clenched, just waiting for that first stone to hit her. And then she starts hearing the sound of stones hitting the ground. It's amazing. And they walk away and she hears just the stones. Now it's important, she's one-on-one here with Jesus. And then we pick it up in verse 10 here. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So notice what Jesus does here. Jesus does not condone her sin at all. He doesn't tell her, oh, it's okay that you did this. What he does is he allows her to face her own darkness, to face her own sin. And, that's, and he's, not, he's not putting everything out there and telling her how bad of a person she is about the decision she's made. He just forgives her. So there are three things of that verse that popped out to me. Number one, Jesus faces her. He doesn't turn his back. He doesn't walk away. He faces her. He looks her in the eye. Secondly, he forgives her. He tells her, then neither do I condemn you. He forgives her. And then lastly, he sets her free. Go now and leave your life of sin. I find it so interesting that the last time I was on this stage, we were talking about the Israelites and their their walk through wilderness. And I couldn't help but think of how awesome it is, once again, to see how relevant the Bible is. We have the book of Exodus, where Jesus is setting the Israelites free from their own bondage and their own darkness. And that's in the book of Exodus. And then we move to the book of John in the New Testament. And then here we have this woman where he is setting her free and forgiving her from her own darkness and her own bondage. And then we move to 2017 and he's looking at all of us and saying, I'm setting you free from your own sin, darkness, and bondage. Pretty awesome that our God's so consistent, right? I love that. So 
the crowds start coming back in. The crowds are slowly coming back into the picture here. I would imagine even some of the Israelites, or I'm sorry, some of the um, uh, Pharisees probably started kind of sneaking in in the back. They weren't about to get in the front row, but this crowd just saw what happened with Jesus. They wanna see what, what, what just happened here. What's Jesus gonna say about this? This was a big deal. Surely Jesus is gonna give us a little tidbit about something, tell us what he thinks about this woman. He may not have said it to her face, but surely he's gonna tell us what's going on. So he come, everybody comes back. And then verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's awesome. So how does that, how does that relate with us? in 2017. Obviously, we can see the consistency of God and we can see where he forgives us, but how does how does that relate to this woman? Well, I think there's a lot of people that refuse to walk through the doors of the church. And they refuse to do that because they're afraid of what God is going to expose in their life what kind of darkness they're gonna get exposed. I think they're afraid that people in the church are gonna find out about the darkness in their life. And I think it keeps them from walking through the door. I think it also causes people from having a relationship with God because surely I I have too much darkness in my life that any God, any person is gonna have any desire to have a relationship with me. And that's just not true. God's intention is never to expose our darkness to other people. God wants it to be a one-on-one relationship. When we have darkness in our life, God wants us to come to him, just like this woman, one-on-one. And he doesn't feel the need to tell us what we've done. He's gonna just shine his light in that darkness. So we look at this woman here and we see that Just like this woman, God doesn't want to disgrace us and and bring shame into our lives because surely she felt shame, right? She's in front of this whole crowd of people embarrassed, caught in the act of adultery, and she's got shame in her life. But God didn't want that. God understands that whenever we have shame and disgrace in our life, that it makes us hide from his presence. I know there's people here tonight that have friends or family in their lives that you know the reason they're not sitting here right now is because they feel they are not good enough. That's why we created this service. That's what Access 502 is all about. It's for the people that are hiding because they're afraid of what God's gonna expose in their life. But that's our job as Christians is to go out there and share that word with them. God's want is for us to see the darkness in our life and for us to realize that even though we have that darkness in our life, he has so much greater for us. So when I look back at my wife's story and her walking into the darkness in our house, I can't help but see the parallels between that and this woman. And for all of us, whenever we have darkness in our lives, it creates confusion, it creates uncertainty, it creates disorder, disorganization, 
and we don't, we don't know which way's up. Also, it, cre- it disrupts our relationships. If we, don't, if we have darkness in our life, it can cause problems with those around us. It can cause relationship problems with our spouses, with our friends, with our family. And most importantly, it creates, it distorts a relationship with God. And it also distorts our own reality. Just like my wife, when she's walking through the hallway, she knows how long that hallway is. But when it's dark, it feels so much longer. Her reality is distorted because she knows how long it is. But yet, when I'm in the darkness, it feels so far So when we have darkness in our life, it distorts the reality and the search for what we find in life as truth. We live in a society where we are told so often what exactly is top notch, what it is we should be striving for, what it is to create and and be successful. But a lot of those things, unfortunately, create a lot of darkness and it distorts our reality of what it is that we actually need in the light. So in in verse 12 here, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have a light of life or a life of light. He's begging us. He's begging us to live in the light, to come to him and let him expose the darkness in our life in a one-on-one relationship that he can expose that darkness, we can live in the light. And what he says here is if he says, I am the light, if we're gonna live in the light, aren't we also living in him? It's the same thing. And if, if my God is exactly who we've been talking about for the past five weeks of who he says he is, don't I want to live in the I am? So I've had a lot of opportunity. We, many of you know, we just had a, a baby that's um, almost three weeks old. I've had a lot of opportunity the past couple of weeks to put my daughter to bed, just one-on-one time with her and I. And I, while preparing for this for the past few weeks, I couldn't help but be reminded that as much as I struggle with my relationship in the darkness and allowing God to put his light in there, my four-year-old gets it. She understands it. And here's how she does. My four-year-old has a big, big problem with darkness. Big, big point of contention in our house right now. So she understands in her room that there's only two things in her life or in in that room that will make her comfortable in the dark. Number one is a light. If she's got a light in her room that illuminates the room and she can see the things around her, she's okay. Number two, someone in her room with her that's bigger than her that will protect her and keep her safe. So as the band comes, that's something I think we can all think about, right? A four-year-old, that's how she knows. But sometimes we have a hard time with that. And my hope is that we can look at that and we can say, there's good news. My God has declared that he is the light and the light is always on my side. And number two, my God is always bigger than the darkness. And my God's always bigger 
than any dark season I have in my life and any dark place I am, my God's bigger. And my hope is that we can all live in that and know that my God has declared that he is the light to all of my darkness. And when I'm in that dark place, sometimes I need to be reminded of that. There are times where I lay my head down at night and I think to myself, God, the dark one today. I didn't, I wasn't in the right place with you, but he's told me that he's never gonna leave me. He's never gonna forsake me and that he's bigger than any of my problems. So when I wake up the next morning, there's always light and I can feel that there's always someone bigger there with me. And that's the good news. And just like this woman, that's God's desire for all of us, that we embrace God's truth of being the light and that we can walk away from that as changed people. Lord, I thank you for all these people. I thank you for this service and what it means to our community. I thank you for our leadership team that helps lead this. I pray, Lord, that you would put a burden on our heart that we would go out and we would proclaim to the world that you are the light and that there is no darkness in their lives that you can't illuminate. I pray for the people here tonight. Lord, if there's somebody here that just feels like they've got too much darkness in their life, that they're just not good enough to have a relationship with you, or that they're just, there's just too much darkness that they just can't get over because it just keeps recurring, Lord, and they just don't know how to fix it. I ask that you'd speak to them that you would touch their heart, Lord, that you would speak to them in a way that would assure them that you are bigger than anything that can be in the darkness that can harm us and that you will come into our hearts and you will be a light in us so we can be a light to the world. I thank you for all you do, Lord, and all you continue to do in this church. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.